Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have AJ O'Neill. Wait, hold on just one second. I got to find my little note self. Christopher and Andy. Hey, hey, it's the vanilla JavaScript guy. I mean, AJ's been begging you to pair with him. Maybe you should pair with him on finding his little note self. <laughs> we have Amy Knight. Hey, hey, from Nashville. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And uh, this week, AJ asked a question. And I've had thoughts on this for a while, so... And my views keep changing, so that's always fun, too. Wait, can I do my intro? Yeah, do your intro. Ask your question. Okay. No, no, no. It's not my question. It's my my intro. I got a special intro this week. Oh, okay. So I blew it for you. Go ahead. All right. Hey, hey, y'all. What up? It's your boy, Soldier JS, giving a special shout out to my boy, Coding It Wrong. Yeah. Oh, I like him. He's awesome. I know. I I don't know him at all, but he totally misquoted me saying, hey, 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 instead of yo, yo, yo. And I thought it was so hilarious. Hey, hey, hey hey is what I say. That's mine. Yeah, quoting it wrong. That that ought to be the handle. Nice. This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects. And that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them. And if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs. And this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com slash jsjabber. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through Triplebyte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. So uh, so your question, you asked us a question. Okay, so I asked you all a question. And my question is, well, it's not really a question. I really, I have an opinion. But I, what I want to pose to our, our listeners is, what is it that you need to do in order to get a website up? Like how complicated or simple you need to be and what are, what are the trade-offs? What should you be reaching for? To, like you got some index.html or maybe some app.js and you want to get an API or a site up, how can you do it? I, I guess that's one question that we should ask first because initially I was like, oh, you mean like a Node app? But not necessarily, right? And I'm sorry, my voice is scratchy. I've got some allergies and stuff going today. But are you talking about a Node app or are you talking about maybe a, a Jamstack with a framework on the front end? Or I'm talking about... Deploy, what are you I'm, talking about? I'm talking about any of it because, I mean, this, this is my concern. I'm seeing these people coming out of dev camps. They don't know like hardly JavaScript from React script, from TypeScript. And they're using like enterprise Google Cloud platform and Beanstalk and all this. And it's like, I I just get so confused because I'm like, well, couldn't you just copy the file over and do it that way? I mean, do you need all that? So that's kind of where I'm at is anything. You just want to get some stuff online so people can interact with it, use it. Right. I, I think the kind of the basic lowest common denominator easy deploy is something like Heroku, right? You just get push and it not even that i mean if you're just doing like static like a static page i would just say like use github pages yeah oh yeah or netlify netlify is real easy full disclaimer they're a a sponsor but they (laughs) their system's really really stupid easy 
I mean, I like GitHub Pages. That's what I did. So yeah. before I even did the boot camp and I was taking some classes at the university, that's what I did just because it was free. I already had a GitHub account. I don't know. Yeah. It was like, it was nice to have everything in one place. Yeah, I think GitLab does it too. There are a bunch of options for the static sites. And if I'm not mistaken, GitHub Pages finally added HTTPS. A little bit late to the game, but they did it. So now you can do full web apps, you know, use all the APIs that are available in the browser, including the the secure APIs. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. That's a pretty darn simple option. It is. That's what I that's what I run my blog on, and I've been happy with that. Now, well, granted, this is a great show. Thanks for uh, <laughs> no, granted, I don't get tons of traffic on that. Yeah. Well, I, I think if you're going with the static site, that's that's a pretty easy way to go. I mean, but but you still have your build tools and stuff, depending on what framework you're using and things like that. But you know, once the code's ready, just getting it onto a server, yeah, that's that's simple. So, what's the deal with people trying to like host their websites on S3 and and like AJ. like create land self-host and, and I self-host I do too you know all, the, all this stuff for for simple pages like what's what? I'm also I'd be super curious like how many people because now I feel old how many people use like FTP back in the day I still <laughs> use it I love FTP really so, love WordPress FTP. internet uses FTP I won't use FTP because you're sending your password out in the clear. I mean, like you're literally broadcasting your password across the internet. With what about SFTP, AJ? AJ. Okay. Well, that's rsync. SSH. <laughs> well, no, that's what it is. Like SFTP. I, I know. SSH protocol. I, I just think it's funny because you're just like, well, that's just using SSH, and yes, that's true, but it's also secure. So, but it's it's not FTP. They just kind of called it. Yeah, but the the end result is the same, right? Yes, the files wind up on the server. Super simple, stupid file transfer. Yeah. So I will tell you what I do with my my stuff is that I actually set up a Git server on my server I'm deploying to, and then I just push to production, and then it it runs the build process and puts the file up. Like what? Like you have a webhook or? Yeah, so whenever yeah. I push to GitHub, it triggers a webhook that fetches a fresh build, runs the build, moves it from a, like a staging folder. Oh, you're fancier than me. Build. Oh, am I? I? Just, well, I'd like to hear what you do then because yours sounds simpler. That would so, be nice. so what I do is um, I log into the server and set up a Git repo on the server I'm deploying to. And, oh, okay. then, and then I have a Git hook there. And so when I push... Then it does, you know, I'm using 11D for, for my static sites. So it just does an NPM install, runs the 11D build, and then copies the files over. So I'm a little confused. You say the server. The server. The server that, that is mean, going to host the files. So you're talking like somebody from the 1980s. What the heck is a server? Nobody knows what that is anymore. What, what do you mean when you say the server? Well, I was going to say this, it's this hunk of metal, but actually it's, it's this virtual machine that's running on the hunk of metal because I'm using DigitalOcean. I love DigitalOcean. So stupid simple. Yeah. Essentially what it does is, yeah, so I just push, get push production master. But you're pushing locally on your own laptop, right? From my laptop to the server that's going to host the, the static site. Oh, so you're saying you run a Git server mm-hmm. on, on the... All you have oh. to have is SSH and Git on the machine to do it. Oh, it, it okay. is super simple to get get set up. You can go do a Google search, and it'll literally take you like five minutes to get it set up. Please so, link in the notes to that because I'd I'd love to see that because I hadn't thought of actually just running the Git server on the server. That yeah, 
That actually sounds a lot simpler than what I do. Yeah, Although I like having my stuff on GitHub. So Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of wondering about the, the webhooks because that's also really simple. Yeah, I have a tutorial on my site that I can kind of drop into the show notes if anybody's curious about how that works. It also, the other thing for me, because I'm using static sites and I also have kind of a bloggy component, I wanted a way to, um, to be able to schedule posts in the future. Like I didn't want to have to like write it and push it at the exact moment that I wanted it. So this setup also allows me to trigger some, some cron jobs that like run that build every hour or so. So as things come into, should be published now, they automatically show up without me having to do anything. Yeah, that's one thing that I'm trying to figure out, but I'm mostly just resigned to, I don't know if I care that much about the schedule of the blog posts. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm trying to decide is if it's worth it for me to figure that piece out. But if you've already got that figured out, maybe I'll just, you know, figure out what you're doing. I want to ask a question to like frame our conversation too, based on AJ's question or what AJ said at the beginning of the show about, you know, maybe people using tools that are a bit heavy for their needs. But at what point in your career is this something that you should be concerned with? When or maybe even at what point in the project? <laughs> so um, I think, and this is my personal opinion, kind of like uh, when we talked about accessibility and, and you know, we had the discussion over whether it's a, a moral imperative. Which this is. is totally my opinion, and I know other people have other opinions. And you can deployment is like is there's morally do, moral do way first. to go about it. <laughs> do it first; it'll make your life easier. That's my opinion, and the reason is is because once you know that, see, so, so essentially you create your you know Node app or Express app or whatever, then figure out how to deploy it, and that way you'll just know that it's running in production. You can always know it's running in production. I actually agree with that. That's the that's kind of what they taught us in the boot camp that I went to is that you haven't finished your quote unquote project until it's publicly accessible. Yeah. But the other thing is, is I see people and they get in and what they wind up doing is, so they'll start out with maybe a static site and then it's like, okay, well we want these dynamic components. So now we need serverless or we need, you know, maybe we need uh, Redis or something on the machine you know, or if it's a Rails app or an Express app or something like that, right? Well, now we need this database. Now we need a caching layer. Now we need all these other things. And so they get to the point where they feel like they have something they want to show somebody. And all of a sudden, it's like eight eight or nine steps to get the server set up to run everything. And if you start out with, this is an Express app, does it run? And then it's, okay, now we need the caching layer and we're going to use Memcache or um, Redis or something like that. Then what happens is, it's like, okay, well, we added the caching layer, so now we just need to bring that piece in. And so you can add it into your setup on your server. And you can also, you know, when you have to wind up scaling and stuff, you, you, you know, you just add it to your documentation. You add it to your documentation to set up on your own machine. But yeah, then, then you're good to go. So and I'm... you can kind of work it in a step at a time and not wonder why all of a sudden, you know, these three things aren't working nicely together. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually push back on some fundamental ideas there because you're talking about like caching layers and scaling. Like, yeah, see, you don't need all that stuff to start out with. But you don't need it ever. Like when, when have you ever needed to scale anything? Like uh, on a personal project, when have you ever, <laughs> ever needed to scale or on a side business? When have you ever needed to scale something? Yeah, that's completely tangential. But yeah, I don't think that's necessarily what we're talking about. When, when well, you get I, there. I think it's important though. Because no, it's, it's a fair point. What I'm saying is, is when you get to the point where you need it, you already have it deploying. So 
I think that that's putting the cart before the horse. I think because what I'm seeing is like new devs are getting so deep yeah. and they, they talk about all this caching and load balancing and premature optimization. Yep, yes. True. Yes. And so that's, that's why I'm pushing so, back on it. I'm not so saying is that your issue why. then AJ? It's, it's not the, they're, they're using all of these systems they don't need in AWS or Google cloud platform or Microsoft well, Azure. They don't understand it. They're set- things up in ways that are super expensive like i've heard stories about people like somebody actually has a successful project right that gets like several thousand page views in a day they were they were using firebase they, they got something like oh, a twenty thousand dollar bill from us a, a successful twitter campaign right which would have been literally five dollars on DigitalOcean because all it was doing was static pages and catching emails right like i will say though i mean i feel like some of that is the community's fault because like all of these businesses i'm going to try not to name names so i don't pick any out but (laughs) at the end of the day like they go out into the community they evangelize and especially newer developers are kind of prone to probably not necessarily knowing that is what's going on and so they're like oh this like cool thing and you know this developer evangelist helped me adopt it and now i'm going to use it for everything because it's like all i know and um like the community there's like a hype factor to all of that and newer people don't necessarily know that about this like hype factor yet yeah i mean to that point i mean this is the reason that i like serverless is because you know it it just spins up when you need it and so yeah you're not you're not buying into all this stuff you don't need and you're kind of encouraged to only make the functions do what you need them to do and that's also why I like Firebase is because it, it tends to gloss over a lot of the Google Cloud Platform stuff that you're using that you may or may not need. See, for me, I, I have DigitalOcean and I've also used LightSail. You know, they're a little less expensive, but they're not quite as user-friendly. DigitalOcean has been always super focused on simple developer experience, right? So I create a just vanilla Ubuntu VPS from the $5 a month bin, and I don't have to worry about, you know, my site accidentally getting popular, which is probably never gonna happen, right? But I don't have to worry about it accidentally popular and then having a $20,000 bill, because it's a fixed $5 a month, and that'll, that'll handle hundreds of thousands of, well, millions of requests per day, but hundreds of thousands of requests in, you know, w- without any problem, right? And I just, I do a Git clone, I run SSH keygen, so I have an SSH key, some people like to use passwords, whatever, I do a Git clone of my Git repository, and then I just start a little node static server pretty much right there, and I run it in screen. Like, if I'm doing something stupid simple, and I'll leave it there for months, just a simple node static server running in screen. No load balancer, not even like Apache or Nginx or any of that, just a simple node server. And then if I get fancy, I'll add a systemd script so that you know, once a year when they give me the maintenance email letting me know they need to upgrade the kernel or something, it'll just automatically restart on itself. Two things. One, I just learned that I've been pronouncing Nginx wrong my entire developer career. So thank you for that, AJ. Um, <laughs> Wait, how did you I pronounce I did that for years. Nginx. I had no idea it was pronounced Nginx. It's one of those when you learn something from reading, you just like, you pronounce it the way you think makes sense. So Thank you for that. Well, um, hopefully you don't pronounce it modulo. No. And then, wait, actually, I think I do. And then two, if you're not 
using or if you find like i i found digital oceans panel a little bit at least when i started using them a little bit confusing so i ended up um discovering this awesome service called server pilot that automates a lot of the installing of the stack and then maintaining it for you on DigitalOcean. Um, so they handle all the security updates for you. You don't even need to deal with those like kernel update emails that you mentioned, AJ. I don't deal with them because they don't affect me because I, <laughs> when they forcefully reboot it, right? yeah, yeah. I'm running a self-contained node app. I'm not even using any of the dependencies on the system. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. so, um, so, but so server pilot is awesome. If you ever need to like configure a lamp stack on your server or anything, they just handle all the things and then they make it really easy to run because I'm super cheap. So I run every website I own off a single $5 digital ocean droplet. Amen. Um, like Amen. a dozen sites running on one droplet. Yeah, same, same here. Same yeah. here. And they make it really easy to avoid like conflicts and kind of like yeah. they handle all of the routing of different things to different places for you. So the, the system that I've been using, because they do Rails deployments as well, Rails and Node, I think, are, are kind of their specialty, is Cloud66. They've been sponsoring Ruby Rogues, and so I tried them out. And then I was like, this is so much easier than the script that I have to push all my code up and, and run all the dependencies and all that garbage. I just go in and click a button now. <laughs> I, I freaking love it. But yeah, and it just pushes my DigitalOcean droplet. Obviously, I'm a big proponent of like learning... Keeping the tools that you have to work with simple and learning them so that if you encounter a problem, like you have some context and scope. That's why I like just running the server and, and doing the Git clone. Like I can see the value in some of the push button deploy stuff like Heroku, except it's so daggone expensive. Like some of these other ones sound like they're cheaper, but oh my gosh, Heroku's got to be the most expensive thing on the planet. Yeah, unless yeah, you try and run it free and hit your limits really fast. I tend to agree with you, AJ, but at the same time, I mean, if it's something that I don't have to care about and I can go and do the things that I really do care about and enjoy, I kind of lean toward, and, and this is something that's kind of come out of me running my own business, right? Is that more and more I'm hiring people to do things that I don't completely understand. And I kind of have to do that. So I hear you. Like, I understand what you're saying there. So what do you think, it, what, what do y'all think is important for someone, whether they're front end or back end, like what are some good things to learn to know about uh, servers or, or should they just forget it and go serverless? Like, is that, is that really what people should be doing? Should they just be like, eh, I'll pay the $20,000 bill if it comes to me and otherwise I'll pay the whatever, $30 a month. Well, that, that's the problem with going on a cloud is that they, you know, they'll auto scale your stuff and then bill you for it. But a lot of those are getting better at keeping the cost down because they want to keep people around without having them freak out about how much it's going to cost them to run it. I mean, to an extent, I feel like you should use what you're familiar with. So if you're new and somebody has taken the time to help you understand how to use a certain workflow or system or app, then then use that. Yeah, there's a good point to that. Yeah, I agree. Oh, Hello, okay. Joe. Well, I've been here the whole time. It's what the voice from the sky. <laughs> I just had I, I just had nothing to say. I've been here since the beginning. I don't know what you guys are freaking out about. I just had nothing to say. I'm just normally a quiet person. I'm, I don't like to talk. <laughs> no, uh, you've heard that joke, right? Where the guy uh, falls off a cliff and he's hanging there by this plant, and he so uh-huh. he prays and he says, "God, please help me, please save me." And the voice comes from above and it says, "Let go." And he hangs there for a minute and then he goes, "Is there anyone else there?" <laughs> so when Joe chimed in, yeah. <laughs> That's me. I was the other person that was there. That's right. Uh, no, uh, I was 
I've been listening to what you guys are talking about and thinking about like my own problems with uh, or issues with Thinkster, right? Because I got this Rails site and we're paying like 500 bucks a month. There's your first problem. You should have used another, Joe. (laughs) Well, that's not something I can change when you take it over. (laughs) Right. Not something I can change. And to be honest, I'm not, I actually, I, I don't necessarily understand all the technology options well enough as, as much as I've been doing a lot of this for a long time. There's a lot of technology options that are always out there. So this like semi-static site that I've got, but not truly static, Rails is a really good match for that. I sprinkle in my React here and there. Maybe it would work with Gatsby or something like that. But uh, what I've got is working really well. But here I have this Rails. It's costing me $500 a month. Could I save money? Maybe. Would How much would I spend on development resources at this point to save that $500? Right. Yeah. And, and with Rails, a lot of that is coming from the RAM cost, isn't it? Because you got to scale up to like four gigs of RAM, eight gigs of RAM pretty quickly on a Rails site. If yeah, but even on DigitalOcean, four gigs or eight gigs of RAM well, isn't going to be 500 bucks. Well, so yeah, Joe, where's that? I mean, like, obviously, if you've got a business, it's already running, it's already off the ground, paying that 500 bucks, if it's making you money, whatever, it's nothing, right? It's not right. worth the cost to go back and, quote, fix it. What is driving up that cost for you? Is it like the database add-ons or is it the RAM or what is it? Honestly, I'm not 100% sure. I think it's just the video. It's the video transmission time host. But, oh, could be. you know, all these videos that are up on NS3 Bucket, and all the bandwidth. Yeah, you should use a uh, third party for that, Joe. I mean, I shouldn't tell you what you should do, but (laughs) I use a third party for that sort of thing specifically because I assumed that I would run into for my courses what you're seeing where when you self-host that, the video streaming just like eats up so much bandwidth. So if if you're doing under, well, how many terabytes are you in a month? Do you know? I don't. I don't. To be honest, like the $500 a month matters, but it doesn't matter so much like that it's like the number one problem I want to solve, right? Understood. So it wasn't, it wasn't something that got, became important enough to really look into. In fact, by the time I really look into it deeply enough and get a good grasp of it, I will have easily doubled the cost for that month in labor, right? Or, yeah. or tripled or quadrupled the cost for that month. Yeah. So it's, it's funny, you get in this, these weird positions where I know that I have this thing and this thing is costing me money. I know that there's probably a cheaper alternative, but I don't know enough to know off the top of my head if the cheaper alternative is worth it in a reasonable amount of time that it's worth worrying about or if I should just continue as is and hope to make, you know, hope to be paying for that with out of profits and it's just fine the way that it is. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm running into some of the same decision points with PodWrench, right? I've gotten to the point where I don't 100% trust the system that I'm using for tracking media downloads. And so, because the numbers keep changing and they change inexplicably. And then I go talk to them and they're like, oh, we just changed our algorithm. And I'm like, well, what did you, what did you change in your algorithm? Oh, we, we, we can't talk to you about that. And I'm like, <laughs> nice. Well, I, I've got to explain this to sponsors. So, you know, <laughs> I kind of well, need to know. But, and this, uh, is, this is very germane to the topic, right? Yeah, but so I've been, okay, do I build my own? And, and that's coming back around to this, right? Yeah, like there's so much to know about the options. So again, in my experience, we hired a developer who originally like immediately was like, hey, we should move you over to Heroku. And they were optimizing for what works easiest for them. They had all these add-ins on Heroku that they were really used to configuring. And they're like, if we move you over here, there's all these other things we can do. And my hosting bill probably would have quadrupled, right? 
But for them, they're optimizing what's great. Or other people who can come in and say, oh, there's a solution out here. You should use this and this and this. But if they don't know your, what your current solution is like, then they can't tell you for sure that that's actually a better option, right? So, so one thing that I think is a really good idea is to make sure that whatever your app is, you can run it on your own computer. Because if you can do that, then it's probably, you've probably made it simple enough that you could put it to any platform of your choice to get the benefits you need. Yeah, I agree. You should be able to run it in your own Docker container. Oh, wait, that's not what you said. <laughs> well, so I, there's, there's benefit to that. But I think that there a is. lot of people, Docker can be something that's really simple and really useful. But the way that I see the general trend is people create extremely complex you know, Docker is almost like the, NP, the, the node modules of servers, right? People create extremely complex, hyper-layered things, gigabytes and gigabytes of images to run like a couple megabytes of something. And there's so much complexity in it that if you were to try to run whatever it is yourself, it would just, it'd be like good night. And what it really could yeah, be, if you, if you boiled it all away, it's like a bash script that's like, set this config environment, touch this file, add this line to it, run binary. Like that's what it would be, but it, it becomes extremely complex. And, and while they're at it, they leave the root password blank. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, no kidding. No kidding. That's, that's... <laughs> Sorry. It's true though. But yeah, so what, what you're complaining about, AJ, as far as all the complexity going kind of back to the original question is that, yeah, they take Docker, which should simplify some of this stuff. And instead they pile all the complexity into that. So now you have another layer of stuff to know. Yeah, and then every single Docker image is different. So, you know, whereas before it's like, okay, yeah, I either had to know Ubuntu or Red Hat, right? I either have to be familiar with Yum or Apt. Now with Docker, there's like 15 million different versions of Linux and everybody's got their own favorite flavor and they all have their own different, entirely different set of tools and defaults for how to install packages. I mean, it just went from something that was like a relatively simple problem to something that is now... Like, I can understand why people get so frustrated and confused when they start to approach the server because it's like these companies that are selling serverless are really doing a good job at making servers complicated. Yeah, I personally prefer a hand-compiled Gentoo kernel to run all my stuff in a Docker container. But you need to clarify that you're being sarcastic because some people won't know. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally uh, making stuff up. I did do that once, not on a Docker container. This is when I was in college. Oh, Gentoo is, is great for a deep dive learning level. Oh, yeah. Arch and Gentoo are amazing if you really want to, to learn how Linux works and whatnot. Not something I'd put in production, per se. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so I, I definitely agree with kind of the sentiment here of keeping it simple. But yeah, I think there is room for you know, going to things that you don't 100% understand to get what you need. Because in a lot of cases, as Joe pointed out, going deeper on some of this stuff will cost you more than just going with something that's simple that works. And, you know, paying an extra 10, 20, 30, 50 bucks a month, as opposed to paying someone, you know, for a couple hours worth of work to, to figure some of the other stuff out. So as, as a developer, though, like as somebody that's you know, I, I imagine a lot of our listeners, do you think that it's worth, like, say that article that you sent me, right? If I'd never used the command line before, it's probably a little un, unapproachable, the, the setting Likely, up the Git server. But not a ton. Because you can copy and paste those commands and they'll work. So how long do you think that would take, like, if somebody wanted to set, up, set that up? Like, two hours, maybe? Do you think less than that? 
uh, less than that. If for somebody that's just like barely touched the command line. Yeah, because they can just copy and paste the commands. And what do you think like the benefit in learning that is, like going through that process to learn it? Oh, I think there's a ton of benefit to it because most of the stuff there is relatively simple. The thing that's interesting though is that again, you know, we're ta- we're talking about opportunity costs and Joe kind of brought this up with, you know, do I pay a developer to figure this out or do I just keep paying my hosting bill? Well, I'm a React developer or I'm an Angular developer or I'm just doing, you know, JavaScript and I pull in jQuery when I need it. So, you know, is it worth it for me to learn this stuff or do I just lean on my friends or uh, coworkers that have the expertise and go learn some deeper concept in JavaScript, is that going to benefit me more? I mean, there's still a cost-benefit analysis and an opportunity cost to going out and spending the time to learn this stuff over some of the other stuff. So, I, I mean, if, if my job role is just writing the code and somebody else is going to always deploy it, then the value of me learning this stuff is much lower than if I'm working in a startup where I'm going to have to actually you know, get the code onto the server one way or the other. I would challenge you on that, though. I think while you don't need to know it like the back of your hand, I don't think it's healthy to just like throw your hand up and say, well, this part is not my responsibility. Because at least for me, I do not like having things be a black box that I don't understand. I don't want to have to go to someone if I have like a problem with my deployment. Immediately, I want to be able to have a rough understanding of how things are working so that I can try to troubleshoot it myself first. I agree with you. The point I'm making is, though, is that it's not going to cost me as much to not understand that stuff if somebody else is doing it. Yeah. Well, again, it really just depends on the relative costs. I have another friend who their company switched from something to basically like a Jamstack type deployment. Their monthly bill went from $3,000 down to $5. And I don't know how many resources they invested in that. Yeah. (laughs) That's legit. Like that is, that is completely legit. Most well, that's legit if your development costs are less than $2,995 a month, right? Because right. eventually they're not going to have to maintain that as much. And so you start saving money at some point. Oh, I yeah. just wanted to point out that that right there is realistically the potential cost benefit. Because I think so many people don't know that what they're paying thousands of dollars for could literally cost them 5 or $10 a month. Yeah, but right. they need to go look at the cost benefit because I think Joe's example is realistic, but it's also an extreme case. I think some, you know, you may be able to cut it in half from 3000 to 1500 or from 3000 to 1000 or 3000 to 500 or 3000 to a couple hundred, you know, for your server hosting. And so you start looking at that and again, you know, how much effort is that going to be and is it going to be worth it? And depending on the size of your development team and what it's going to take to get there, the eventual payoff is going to be, you know, 10 years down the road and it's just not worth it. I was going to say, so at Big Squid, we actually, um, when I started there, we were, um, we had a lot of stuff on Heroku, but it's just crazy expensive because running a database, yeah. it literally would take you like maybe an hour following one of these copy and paste tutorials, maybe two hours. I mean, I'm being a little bit generous because I've seen people struggle with things that I would consider simple, but um you're paying $5 and you're running, you can run the database on the same server that has everything else. You can use our sync. That's basically like FTP to do the backup and the, you know, danger scenario. Right. But we, we were using Heroku and it was just super, super hundreds of dollars. Oh yeah. Various things. And I probably shouldn't go into like too many specifics, but anyway, we, we, and we're also using AWS for some stuff, but we were switching over to a, a tool called Akiris. That's 
basically a, a Heroku clone that's uh, being developed and it drives the cost almost to the floor. Like if we optimized our Docker stuff so that it could run on DigitalOcean, we could probably reduce it by like another 10x, but the cost benefit isn't worth it at, at that scale. But at the scale of moving to from Heroku to, to Akiris, it's not quite self-hosted, but it's like a, it uses AWS directly and it's a, it's a platform. So you purchase the, the platform rather than the instances, and then you pay AWS directly the instance costs. So they, they basically like took Heroku and made it an app, essentially, that you pay for the app and not for the servers that run within the app. But that's just another real-world use case. Hey, I wanted to visit one thing that Amy's talked about, about Black Box, which is a little bit tangential to the conversation here, but point out something that this is a real problem that we have so many solutions that can be treated a little bit black boxy, but they aren't good black boxes. Like our deployments, there's not a lot of great deployments out there that are so simple that you can actually treat them as black box. You know, I could treat the engine in my car as a black box up until it hits around 150 or 200,000 miles, and then it really needs some maintenance. So it's nice to have really good abstractions, and it's, it's disappointing that a lot of our, if not most of our deployment options are just the type of thing, you've, if you haven't spent hours and hours and hours and hours really learning the nuances of them, the minute you have a problem, it's a huge disaster and it could take you weeks to figure out what's going wrong and solve these problems. And like the, I'm talking about this cost of, of for Thinkster, $500. Maybe I could save it and, and make $5, uh, to bring it down to $5, but without spending probably dozens of hours figuring out exactly what's going on right now and an alternative that could work and researching all of those. I can't, so that just implies how much farther we have to go with options for simplistic deployment. And I'm excited a little bit about Jamstack because it seems like we're definitely getting better and better and better. And a lot of these tools, like even Heroku, as expensive as it is, is heading us in these, in these directions. So I'm, I'm going to give a, a counterpoint to myself as well to kind of uh, agree more with... Uh, some of, the, some of the other viewpoints. I would say on this show, I have more breadth of knowledge than probably anyone on the show. I don't know if that sounds right, but that's my guess. And that benefits me in the startup world. It doesn't really benefit me that much at my current full-time job. And I don't know, like it's personally satisfying. I like it. It helps me to build things and know what's going on. But I would say even as much as I advocate for not having things be a black box. If you're just talking about sheer like input output and and develop you know honing a single skill, I think right now the market probably does reward people more who only focus on one specific task rather than those that have a lot of context until you go up way higher. I think they're at the lowest level down at the the startups. I think that's really valuable and I think when you go particularly high that's valuable, but in the mid-range where most people are, I, I'm not sure, but I'd love to hear if you guys agree or disagree with that. It depends on how you compensate for it, right? I agree with you. I just, I think I like the autonomy of not having to, like, I don't know, I just think like if I'm in crunch mode and there's a problem, I want to be able to fix it and get it out. And if there's like, because I've been in the case before where I'm trying to get something out and like inevitably there's things are going to go wrong in that process. And like the build 
there's something wrong in CI and I'm not the one that set it up and I haven't dug into it enough. And so then I have to like pull someone else in and I just don't like being in that situation. So I like to have a rough idea of what's going on so that I can get it out the door myself. And I feel like that's super valuable to a team. Yeah, I can understand that. I've also worked at companies though where the ops team had to be the ones to to deploy it because we were dealing with like government data or something like that. So, I mean, there there are trade-offs there too and there are reasons why you, you know, may or may not deal with things that way. But I'm the same way. I hate having to go and, and, you know, even if people are nice about it, I feel like I'm begging for help. And that drives me crazy. I, I definitely think in the long run, I think it will benefit a person better. But in the short run, I think other than personal satisfaction, I, I don't know. Like, I, I hate making my own counter argument. But Amy, do you feel like you get a lot of recognition within the teams that you've worked with when you've been able to take on that extra bit? Or do you feel like it's marginal? Um, that's a good question. Maybe it's more personal satisfaction than it is for the team. But yeah, I mean, definitely people appreciate it. I don't think. It's necessarily like they're like screaming up and down excited, but I think people appreciate being able to like be heads down and you don't have to interrupt people. And again, like I'm not advocating for being like an expert, but I think you should at least be able to go to your ops person and say like, I think this is what's going on because you've done a little bit of due diligence figuring it out first. Let me ask in a different way. Do you believe that it contributes to you getting a higher salary than others? (laughs) Um, I mean, like, obviously we don't all know what everybody else is getting, but that what I'm trying to phrase the question as is, do you believe that it's, it's recognized and rewarded in the marketplace or if it's just really personal satisfaction? Well, not in the marketplace as in like I'm interviewing because usually these systems are so different company to company that it, I'm going to have to learn it whenever I start somewhere new. So no, not necessarily. But to but it does come in like if you're interviewing and people ask you, you know, about different like complex situations you've run into and things like that. The fact that you've been able to figure these types of things out on a consistent basis at places you've gone is helpful. I think it can just honestly also help you be more effective in a role I've been in jobs before where the people you need to unblock you just don't have the time or availability to help you for a certain period of time because yeah, of other exactly. stuff that's going on. And then I think this is Amy, what you were like saying or getting at, but then you're just kind of stuck waiting for other people to unblock you, which is really annoying. It, yeah, it's a horrible feeling. And maybe I'd make that point because I feel like that's my whole journey getting into programming is that's the situation I was in is I was tired of being blocked and I was like mm, I'm gonna yeah. figure this out myself Same. and so yeah. like, I advocate for people in a healthy way and in, in a doable way to kind of take that approach yeah but if you're if you're waiting on somebody else to unblock you you know the ops team or whatever to me that sounds like an organizational problem more than a skills problem and yeah you know your your solution of learning this stuff is definitely a solution to that but I think it, it also highlights an organizational problem where, you know, the communication isn't in a place where, you know, things get handled. And yeah, sometimes things just kind of fall apart that way and, and there's nothing you can do because something's a higher priority. But in most of those cases, what I found is that the communication isn't happening where, you know, the people whose opinions matter understand just how critical it is for them to unblock you in this instance and for you to unblock them in other instances. 
And so that it just doesn't come through. And so they put you off because they think that they can. And so again, you know, if everybody is fulfilling their role and everybody is working together to make everybody else's role work, you know, then you shouldn't have a lot of these problems. And I know that's kind of an idealized way of, of, of working, but, you know, I think that's ultimately where organizations need to be trying to get to. Yeah, I agree with all that for sure. Well, and the other thing that's interesting about all this is DevOps is one of those things that you do kind of once and you set it up and then you don't often touch it again. So it's easy to lose what you learned and built up and all the knowledge that you gained because you may not touch it again or need to touch it again for six months or nine months or a year. And then you have to. And even if you were the one who set it up, all of a sudden it's like you've forgotten all of the stuff that you did to get everything just right. And you have to go back through much of, if not all of the process yet again. And by that time, everything's changed. And we've gone from back to uh, servers, uh, probably we're going to go back to mainframes. Uh, living in our uh, houses, Cray computers is going to be the next wave. I can feel it. I actually don't think that you're wrong. I know you're being ironic, but I, I mean, like I, anyway. My basement is a computer. I love that. <laughs> Well, I don't, I don't think that the, the basement necessarily, but I think just like phones have become ubiquitous, hmm. and clients will have ubiquitous uh, servers as well. Every time I see a circular chair in like a hotel, I always think of Cray computers. I don't know if I follow that reference. The, like they were like, I believe it was Cray, they were always made round and oftentimes they'd put a chair around the outside, a little like bench that you could sit at around the outside. So every time I see these circuit, you know, like the round circular chairs, like in the center of an area, I think of great computer supercomputers for some reason. So, Joe, will you do me a favor and back up like five sentences and say whatever it was that you said again? Because you said something that I had like actually maybe a valuable comment to make, and I lost it. You learn Dev, DevOps is oftentimes the thing, especially on smaller teams where there's isn't constant DevOps going on, that oh, you learn okay. once and you don't do anything again for six yes. months, nine months later, and then everything's changed by then too, right? So, okay, so this is, this is the comment that I had to that. I know this one guy. It's crazy because he uses like the same search terms that I do. So I always find his blog articles whenever I'm trying to like go back and, and figure out something that I did before. I, I land on his stuff and it's like so serendipitous and crazy, but it turns out the guy is me, right? If you blog the stuff that you do, I mean, I've, I, I hate mm -hmm. it anytime I learn something and I don't reblog it myself. Because I think, oh, that was easy enough to find. I won't do it. But the search, like the way that I write and speak is the way that I search. And so I will end up finding myself for problems, even if I don't remember that I'd already solved it in the past. And this <laughs> so many times, no matter how stupid the problem is, I'd, even if it's like three lines of a bash script or whatever, I'll write a little article about it and I'll post it. And then it goes out into the Google searches and I'll like maybe link it on Stack Overflow once or something to help answer somebody else. But if I remember that I wrote it, I've got my blog to go back, back to. And if I don't remember that I wrote it, I swear to you, I have literally like typed in the words that I typed in my blog as a search term. Like, how do I do X? And that's literally like one of the lines in my, my blog post and found myself. So it, it makes you look good to employers, you know, having a blog showing that you can document things like that's, not everyone values that as a skill, but that's a valuable skill. And it helps you keep on to exactly, you know, those tidbits that you'd otherwise forget because you only do it once every six months or two years or whatever. That's definitely a good tip. Does it, well, Chris, you blog. I, no, I super agree. I, 
I find my own solutions to new problems I've encountered all the time. I'm like, oh, let me Google this. I'm like, oh, I already figured this out like two years ago. Awesome. Totally forgot that you that you had ever done it, you know? Mm-hmm. Thank you past me for helping future me figure this out. Well, what's funny too is that when I got started blogging, the blog posts that I started with were the ones that were, I got this error and then I'd put the full output of the error and then oh, Google would yes. pattern match it and I'd get a whole bunch of other people coming and, you know, I'd get comments. This was exactly what I needed. And so, yeah, it's not just you. Yeah, including exact error message from your console, one of the best things you can do for yourself to put in your blog. I can highly recommend uh, creating courses. I don't know if it's funny or not thinking of me sitting and watching myself (laughs) in a course (laughs) trying to figure out when the heck I broke. Hey, I listen to a lot of the podcasts and I'm like, yeah, I'm hearing myself talk. (laughs) All right, well, should, should we do picks or should we, is there anything else that we want to cover here? I feel like the topic's been given fair treatment. I was able to get all of my passion out and feel like we came to a good, reasonable discussion. Well, the only thing that I would add is that sometimes it gets complicated, but if you can either make it get complicated incrementally or you, you can explain why it has to get complicated the way that it does and you can document that somewhere, it makes it a whole lot easier for people coming behind you to figure out why you did it. Yes, so much. And if you're starting a job and you see holes in the documentation, definitely take that opportunity to fix those holes. Yep. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Joe, why don't you start us off with picks? All right, um... I am going to pick something, something awesome. <laughs> I'm going to pick miniature painting. We just had NGConf like a week and a half ago. Uh, yeah. By the time you hear this, it'll be, I don't know, a couple a more weeks. A month and a half ago. A month and a half ago, right. We did a bunch of activities. We do all kinds of stuff. And one of the things we try to do is do a variety of activities to entice various kinds of people to still participate in some sort of some kind of socialization and opportunity to connect. Some people want to sit by a bar with a drink and chat with friends. Some people want to watch a movie or something like that. Some people want to code and some people want to do something, you know, organized and small. So one of the things that we've done in the past was Dungeons and Dragons. This year we decided to do miniature painting and full disclosure, the only reason we did that is because back in December I got into painting miniatures, little Dungeons and Dragons type miniatures and nerd stuff. And I thought it was really fun. I thought, what the heck, let's just do it, you know? And the crazy thing was it was our number one most signed up for and most popular activity that we did, right? Like 75 people out of the 1,500 signed up and probably roughly that amount actually showed up and participated and painted miniatures. Like we were so overwhelmed. We were scrambling to get enough supplies for people in the last minute. 
And I don't, so I, ha, I was completely shocked that that many people, you know, that percentage of people would be interested in it, but people were. So I highly recommend miniature painting and I highly recommend learning it from somebody. One of those, one of those things that I tried a little bit trying to learn online, it just wasn't until a buddy was willing to have me over to his house for a, a few hours and we, and show me a few things that I finally felt like I was comfortable to try it out. And then I just really got into it, enjoyed it and find it a great uh, pastime. So that's my pick, miniature painting. Awesome. AJ, what are your picks? Okay, so Minio. I'm going to pick Minio. So Minio is, uh, it implements the S3 protocol. So you may or may not know S3 is a protocol, just like email is a protocol. So you've got Gmail, Yahoo, Hotmail, or man, I think I just dated myself. But likewise, you have Amazon S3, you've got IBM S3, you've got DigitalOcean S3, and then Minio is something you can self-host. So you can run it anywhere, you can have it on-prem, and you can easily integrate if you want to use the, the same protocol that you're already familiar with, use the same, you can you know, use the AWS SDK, you just pass a couple extra options, well, particularly just endpoint, and you can you know, save yourself a ton of money and deploy in environments that you wouldn't be able to reach with AWS. Uh, a lot of people in enterprise situations find that, you know, there's a ton of enterprise customers that are on-prem for legal reasons or personal reasons or whatever. And uh, if you want to get your cloud stuff out to them, it's uh, it's just a great tool to be able to use. And then the other thing I want to pick is basically three, kind of three topics from Stack Overflow, as in Stack Overflow, the, the company, and Jeff Atwood, not like questions and answers. So one is a tweet from Jeff Atwood that talks about how on Stack Overflow, they found that, that cloud architecture is at least 10 times as, as expensive as if they were to requisition hardware. And when you look at... Stack Overflow was designed by people that understood software and, and knew what they were doing. So it's not like a haphazard thrown together site like Twitter was in the early days or, or like, um, you know, Facebook was in the early days or LinkedIn. Like a lot of the big sites now were designed by people that had like business objectives or, you know, people that didn't, they didn't have a lot of experience, but they had a lot of passion and they really pounded stuff out and made something awesome. Stack Overflow is a rare case of something that was both designed by people that really knew what they were doing and who became popular. They didn't let knowing what they were doing get in the way of getting a product out there. And their architecture is amazing. So when you think of them saying that it's 10 times more expensive for them and they have a super honed, and I'm linking to their out their, their layout here, uh, they have a super honed system. They run on something like 30 servers, I think it ends up being. Nine web servers, four SQL servers, three tag engines, three Elasticsearch servers, two Hyproxy servers, and then some other stuff thrown in there. But they are super lean for being one of the web's most popular sites, right? And it's just a tribute to, if you actually know a little bit about how to architect things, you could save yourself a boat ton of money if it's, you know, if it's worth it. And if you're at Scale Stack Overflow, probably is. And then also another article I'll try to find talks about how they just they built the site really stupid simple. Like instead of spinning out lots of different instances for Stack Overflow for engineers and Stack Overflow for mathematicians and you know so on and so forth, everything ran uh, off of the same database server 
and just looked at the host name of the site coming in and then added that into the query. So they were able to be super lean and create a really simple, easy to explain, easy to understand product. And I just, I love, I love a lot of the cool stuff about Stack Overflow as a company and the, and the founders. They're just really cool people. Without that site, also, how would I know that I can, quote, just use jQuery to solve my numerous JavaScript problems? <laughs> please, please, please post Here we go. Here we go. Please post it. Please post it. I, I feel an episode coming on about this. <laughs> Chris has got an excellent meme. It's like somebody photoshops Stack, Stack Overflow, and someone's like, how do I iterate over an array or some simple question like that? And then the first answer is, oh, you just use for each. And then like, it's got like 60 down votes. And, and then like the things underneath are like, just use jQuery. And then like, don't even give a code sample. And it's got like 600 up votes. Nice. All right, Amy, what are your picks? I'm going to go with one this week. And I think it kind of goes along with what we've been talking about. It was Scott Hanselman. I think it came out uh, last week. But he wrote this after being at Built. And... Um, I mean, I get this question a lot. So it sounds like, and it's just a short post, but it's a good reminder. Basically, the student came up to him there and was like concerned that he was learning something that was potentially a little bit outdated in school. And uh, he's just kind of affirming people that it's, the title of the article is Systems Thinking as Important as Ever for New Coders. And you know, I always say it's important to be able to learn quickly and that's something to focus on, not necessarily what you're learning, but he kind of also takes a step back and says like, you know, make sure you understand um, how the network layer works and those types of things, which are going to be universal. So that's going to be my pick for today. Nice. I really like Scott too. So yeah, yeah, me too. Chris, what are your picks? Two for me this week. Um, the first is um, a YouTube video just found the other day, but uh, came out back in 2017 from uh, the .js conference. It's, um, and I'm going to butcher his name, but um, Adrian um, Holavati giving a talk about a framework author's case against frameworks, um, where he spends a lot of time talking about how when you pick up a framework, a lot of the things that people love about them that, you know, they've kind of picked up the bug fixes and feature improvements from thousands of people from lots of different companies working on them is also the thing that sucks the most about them because you're also getting all these bug fixes and edge case features and all sorts of other things that don't really necessarily apply to your particular use case or the thing you're doing. It was just kind of an interesting, I think, reframing of a lot of the same things that are so great about frameworks are also potentially the things that make them problematic. The second one more pertinent to what we were talking about today, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but um, Server Pilot is an absolutely amazing resource for um, running your hosting on DigitalOcean or um, if you know Rackspace is still a thing that people do, I think they work with them as well. Um, but they, they kind of automate a lot of the annoying stuff, especially if you're someone who's not really comfortable in command line you know, installing all of the kind of the stack on your VPS. Um, if you want to add an automatically renewing SSL certificate and don't want to pay a fortune from your host to do it, they make that easy. Although you can certainly just kind of do that in command line yourself if you want to too. But just a really awesome service, pretty affordable, um, bunch of great features. You should go check them out. And that's nice. it for me this week. Yeah. I might have to check them out for my non-Rails, non-Node stuff. So basically my static sites, because I've, I've been kind of looking for something like that for those and 
yeah, I don't want it to install all of the infrastructure for the other stuff. So that looks really great just yeah. for the... I got lucky. I um, I signed up for them like way back in the day when they first started. So I'm on this like grandfathered free forever plan, which I make full, full use of. But they're really affordable for all the other stuff too. It's just I happen to have a slightly more economical version than uh, you'll get today. Right. Cool. Well, I'm going to throw my pick in then. And that's uh, for Cloud66. They do Node and Rails apps. And I've been super happy with them. It's it's really funny because I tried them out just because they reached out because they wanted a sponsor. And then I was like, oh, I needed this. <laughs> and so uh, I, I'm really digging that. And then I was at Microsoft Build last week as well and uh, got the opportunity to talk to a whole bunch of uh, folks. And there's some really, really interesting stuff going on over there. So I would just encourage you if you get a chance to go watch some of the sessions from Microsoft Build, see what they're doing, see what kind of things they're offering in the Azure space. I know, um, you know, we kind of got down on the cloud for some things, but for a lot of things, they're really convenient. And in a lot of ways, too, they're also cheaper than hiring somebody to do your ops or spending the time yourself to learn the ops if you have other things that you need to prioritize. So and I'd say that their service, to me at least, seems a bit more intuitive. Like navigating through Azure is, to me, it's like 10,000 times simpler to, than navigating through AWS. Oh, I get lost in the AWS stuff. And don't even get me started on Google Cloud Platform because that's just a disaster. So It's fun to hate on Microsoft, but when it comes to B2B and also their Office 360 online notes app, those are winners. Yeah, very cool. I don't know if I have any other picks, so we'll go ahead and wrap this up. I do want to remind folks that we are starting new shows. So if you're interested in being a host, let me know. And uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up and we will be back next week. Bye. Adios. Peace. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.